All right, would you, would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this time, and uh, we thank you that uh, we can shout, Hosanna, you are the Lord who saves, and that you're mighty to save. You're mighty to save people in our community, people in our families, um, and our workplace. Lord, you are the one who is able, and so we ask that you would do that through us. Uh, make us the kind of ambassadors you want us to be. Make us good representatives of yourself, Lord. And so we ask that in the next few moments as we crack open your word, that it would really speak to our hearts, that we would understand what you're saying to us through it, and that as a result we would be um, changed, would transformed, renewed in our minds so that we can go out and live as a result of what we learn here this morning. So, We leave that in your hands. We know that you can do it, that you want to do it. We trust you for that change. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, What what is great faith? I mean, faith is something that we talk about all the time. We sing about faith. What what is great faith? Um, How would you identify? If you were looking for someone who had great faith, you say, oh, that person has great faith. What, what sort of attribute, what, how would you describe that person if you were raising kids? You say, I want my kids to grow up to be men and women of great faith. What, what are you instilling in them so that you can describe them that way? You know, when you're, when you're looking for a spouse and you're like, ah, you know what, can we just get all through the nonsense and I just want somebody with great faith in God, in Christ. What does that mean? They go to church a lot? Does that mean they read the Bible a lot? Does that mean they know a lot of verses? Does that mean they dress a certain way? What is, what is great faith and how do you measure it? I mean, we, we know how to measure greatness everywhere else, it seems like, right? That was a great game last night. Depends on which city you're from, but <laughs> that was a great game. You know, why? Why was it a great game? Because it was close, because there were great plays, because your favorite players really stood out because it was uh, entertaining. There's reasons why you would say it's great. Well, she's a great cook. Why? Because it tastes good. She doesn't only just have one good go-to recipe. She can, she can take stuff out of your pantry and put something together, and it's going to be good. That's a measure of greatness. She's a great cook. He's a great lawyer. Why? Because he doesn't lose cases, or maybe morally, because he wins cases, but he doesn't lie, or whatever. There's reasons why you would say that person is great. But if I were to ask you, what is great faith? I, I think a lot of us might draw a blank. What is that? I mean, if, if you've been hanging with us, you know, long enough in this book of Matthew, you know you can't just give religious answers. Oh, great faith is sitting in a pew and listening to uh, a sermon. A great faith is um, giving a lot and putting a lot of money in the plate. Great faith is, you know, whatever, memorizing verses. I mean, those are all things we do. Those are all things that are like a part of Christian culture and Christian religion. It's, it's good to do those things, but at the same time, we scratch our heads and go, nah, but that's not great faith. Is great faith just believing hard enough that something is going to happen? Oh, I'm really going to, yes, yes, it's going to happen. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to, like, you're a little kid waiting for that red bicycle under the tree, and if you believe hard enough, Santa will bring you that bike, and then you wake up in the morning and the bike is not there. Then what happens to your faith? Is that great faith that you just imagine it, visualize it so vividly that it pops into existence in your life? Is that great faith? I want to turn to a passage that I think is going to really help us shape what faith is. It helped the disciples learn it. Um, Jesus used this situation as a way to describe what he's looking for in faith. 
And that's in Matthew chapter 15. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. If anybody needs a Bible, you can slip your hand up. We'll get one to you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Matthew chapter 15, first book of the New Testament. All right. If you've been here a while, you know we've been going through Matthew for um, more than a year and a half now, kind of taking our time with little breaks in between. And we find ourselves in Matthew 15, where we really get uh, a glimpse of what Jesus is looking for when he's demanding great faith in a person. What is Jesus looking for? What is he asking of us? Well, we go down to verse 21, and Jesus meets a woman. It goes like this, and Jesus went away from there, from where he had that debate with the Pharisees, you remember, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. This is Gentile territory. No Jews there, or maybe not no Jews there, but... Uh, These are Gentiles. These are people who didn't go to synagogue. They didn't grow up reading all the Old Testament stories necessarily. But they've heard of it. They know about it. He goes into this territory. Verse 22. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, she doesn't give us details, but we know from other episodes in the Bible that this can get so bad that um, a lot of the things we just chalk up to, I don't know, must be genetic. I don't know. Doctors don't know. I don't know. Must be gluten. You know, it's demons. Uh, Seizures where a kid falls in the fire and the parents have to be close enough by because the kid can't get himself out of the fire. Uh, fall in the water and drown even though it's only three inches of water but they landed face down and having a seizure they can't control themselves and we know in an episode that was in another episode that was uh, demonic activity and Jesus rebuked the demon and then the child was healed we don't get a lot of details here but it's like Matthew's like well you get enough details everyone you get the picture of what happens when someone is oppressed by a demon it's not just I think bad thoughts sometimes that's part of it but sometimes it can really manifests itself in physical reality. And so, he encounters this woman. She cries out to him, O Lord, son of David. She's done her homework. She knows who this guy is, what his lineage is, and who supposedly he's supposed to be. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. That's rude. Not really. But it sounds like it, right? He didn't answer. He didn't say anything. And his disciples came and begged him, send her away for she's crying out after us. (laughs) Just when you think the disciples are like, all right, okay, you guys are getting it. They turn into a bunch of punks, you know. Can you get her out of here, please? You know, it's like, it's like, I don't know, like if I'm preaching up here and someone coughs too many times, can you get a cough drop or go, someone go to Walgreens, please? Like, that's terrible. Why would you do that? But, you know, they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. You've got to give them some grace, some slack. But this is what they're saying. Can, Lord, please. Now, some scholars are saying, now, maybe they're saying, can you heal her? But even if they're saying, can you just heal her? The reason why is not so that she can have the joy of having a daughter who's whole. It's like, can you shut her up, heal her, send her away, make her mute, do something because she's bothering us, all right? She hears that. And then... <laughs> Then Jesus does answer, and it sounds like he's 
acquiescing to the disciples' request. Like, all right, I'll get rid of her. That's what it sounds like. He's going, I, went, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, are you an Israelite? No, I was sent to Israel. And so I can't help you. That's what he's saying. Jesus isn't lying. Israel was called to be God's elect people through whom God's revelation would go. So the Israelites are the ones that wrote Scripture. Uh, Israelites are the ones that delivered Scripture, were to teach Scripture to others. And if you wanted to be a part of it in the Old Testament, you'd have to become very Jewish. You'd be a proselyte and live in their camp and, and live how they live and, and all that. And you still wouldn't enjoy every privilege the same way. And so uh, she's, uh, she's not Israelite. What is she? She's Canaanite. We kicked y'all out, and, and, and Israel came home. You guys are the, the, the wicked people that, that God waited 400 years, so the wickedness got so bad that we came in and kicked you guys out. Your wickedness was so bad, we didn't bat an eye. We just kicked you out. Your, your e- evil heritage, wicked heritage. You're a Canaanite. I came for the house of Israel. I think, I don't know, most of us probably would have walked away by then like, man. Jesus is a hard-nosed character, but verse 25, she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. She begged, she persisted. And then he answered in verse 26. He still doesn't say okay. He says it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ooh. Is Jesus, (laughs) you're not an Israelite. Okay, but please help me anyway. No, no, you don't get it. I've come to children, and what you're asking me to do is take food off of my children's plate and give it to a dog. She still doesn't walk away offended. In other words, Jesus could give her something so raw, so difficult to swallow, and she's still sitting there on her knees. And then she comes up with this clever twist on Jesus' analogy. Now, Jesus isn't getting outsmarted. I was reading a commentary this week, and she's so awesome, she, she, this is the only argument Jesus lost. I'm like, what? <laughs> he didn't lose the argument? He's setting her up. What are you going to do with this? I'm going to volley this. What do you do with this? Are you going to spike it, or are you going to drop it? Wait, here's an alley-oop. Can you dunk? He's setting her up, and she passes the test. She takes his analogy and turns it. She says, she doesn't say, I'm not a dog. How do you talk to me that way? I thought you were supposed to be Jesus. I thought you were supposed to be Christian. (laughs) No. She says, yes, Lord. Yes, what? Yes, I'm a dog. Yes, you shouldn't take food from your children to give it to the dog. Yes, I shouldn't cut in line. Yes, Israel is first. Yes, I'm in a lower tier. Yes, I don't deserve it. All of those things. Yes, Lord. She agrees with his put down. She agrees with it. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I just want a crumb. I don't want to be a child. I'll be a dog. Can I just get a crumb? And Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. He loves it. Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I think it's in Mark where we get the rest of the story where she goes home and the daughter's in bed but healed. She's probably tired from her body being ravaged for who knows how long, but she was healed. Oh, woman, great is your faith. I don't know if you've ever seen the Matthew video. I think it's just called the Matthew video. And all of the dialogue in this movie 
is taken straight from the NIV text. And the actors had some freedom to play out this, the scenes in the text. And so as you're watching the movie, you can have a Bible out. And all of what you're hearing from the screen is word for word scripture. It's pretty cool. And the guy that played Jesus, he did something really clever, I thought. When it got to this scene, and she starts asking him and begging him, he turns his back on her. He turns his back on her, and, and he tells her, I shouldn't do that. You're not, you're not Israelite. Yes, Lord, but, you know, and then, nah, but I'd be taking crumbs, you know, uh, uh, I'd be taking food from the children and, and feeding dogs. And with his back still to her, she persists. Yeah, but, yes. But even dogs get crumbs. And while she says that, he smiles and then turns around. It's just a marvelous scene because the actor knew when he was reading it and preparing for that role, Jesus wasn't like, oh, yeah, that's true. I guess he could get some crumbs. He's waiting for her to do that. And she does it. And she gets it. So what's going on here? What is going on here in this passage? Out of all the passages Matthew could have stuck in chapter 15, not that he wrote it by chapters, but, you know, we designate it as chapters. He could have stuffed all kinds of stories. John tells us there's so much stuff to write about Jesus that there's not enough ink and parchment in the world to contain the things that Jesus did, the things that Jesus said. So they were selective. Why is this here? We already got the faith story about the storm and the faith story about what, what is happening here. Matthew's contrasting her faith with all the people who were supposed to have great faith but didn't. We just got off the argument just a paragraph prior to this, right? Last week, we were looking at the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders. They were supposed to get it. They were supposed to be like, yes, this is the Messiah. This is the one that we've been studying. This is the one that the scrolls talk about that we memorize and wear on our foreheads and wear on our wrists in little boxes. This is the one, but they missed it. They don't have any faith. It's zero faith. And then the disciples all along, have you noticed the theme? Every time the disciples and Jesus have a conversation, it always ends up in, why are you guys such little faith? Come on. And then teaches them. And then why little faith? And we're going to get more of that coming up. So with the religious leaders who are supposed to get it, they don't get it at all. With the disciples who are supposed to get it because they're with Jesus all the time and he's teaching them one on 12, one on three, one on one. They still don't get it. They still have little faith. And then this Canaanite woman has great faith. And so what Matthew's trying to do is look at the contrast and look at the surprise. The person who's the, the least likely to get it gets it. And the people who, well, there's no reason why they shouldn't get it, don't. What is the difference? So Matthew's trying to show you this stark contrast, and he's holding up a mirror. Like, look, which one are you? You know. When I read this, I'm like, man, I, I was just even praying this morning. Like, God, I don't have faith like that woman. I, I don't think I have faith like that woman. I want a greater faith. How do we do that? How do we get that? What is it that she had? Why was it different? Was she smarter? Was she better educated? No. Did she have access to better translations of the Old Testament? I mean, what, what, what is it? Well, if we unpack this a little bit, more carefully and slowly, then I think we get start getting clues. First thing that's really striking about her faith is all that it survived through. I mean, every time something came to knock her faith down, it kept coming. That, that's a quality of faith that I think stands out. Don't you, don't you agree? There's something about her where every time you would think, wow, I'll just go home with the, my tail between my legs. 
Instead, she keeps persisting. But she doesn't do it in an obstinate way, like, come on, man, I, I, I should deserve it. No, she doesn't do it like that, but she still persists. She still continues. And that's a quality of faith that I think really stands, stands out in this passage. She comes to him, and the first thing he does is ignore her. Who knows how long she was following and asking, and Jesus just didn't say a word. The disciples get more frustrated because they're like, look, she keeps pleading, begging. Jesus isn't saying anything. Can you please fix this so she can go away? Now she's listening to Jesus' own crew, Jesus' own disciples, begging the master to just get rid of her. And she still, she still, she still continues. I mean, we live in a day and age where you come to church, and if if the, the stool was crooked, it's like, you know what? My church never used to leave stools crooked. I'm going to another one. Right? And she's there dealing with a whole crew of disciples asking Jesus to not fulfill the request. And the whole time Jesus is ignoring her. We feel ignored by God. We give up. Right? We, we kind of lay back. But Jesus is ignoring her. And we're not, even, we're not sure. Like, is God ignoring me or not? She knew for a fact he was ignoring her because he's right there in physical form, not saying anything. And the disciples coming around still persists. Then finally he turns around and says something, but it's not positive. It's a way of like, nah, I'm not doing it, you know, because you're not Israelite. And so I'm here for Israel first, which is true. You know, at the end of the cha- at the end of this book and Jesus gives them the command, go out into all the world. You start in Judea first and then, Right. Even in, in, in uh, you know, other passages, the exact verse escaping me, but it, that the gospel of salvation goes to the Jew first, then to the Greek. And so that's it's theologically accurate. She still persists. Then he turns around and just disses her, right? I mean, you're a dog. And she still persists. So there's something about her faith that sticks to it, that persists, that stays there and survives through all kinds of doubt. All kinds of obstacles. It persists. And there's a the quality about her faith. Whatever it is that she gets, whatever it is that she understands, is so powerful, is so potent, that all these obstacles, it still doesn't matter. I'm not saying it wasn't difficult for her. But she persisted. And so, while we're reading this, ask yourselves, okay, what's different about her faith that would cause it to not dwindle and die when there's an obstacle? What is it about her faith that's maybe different from mine, definitely different from the disciples' faith, radically different from the Pharisees? They didn't have faith in Christ. What is it about her faith that no matter what comes to tackle it, it keeps going? Well, there's one thing that really stands out, and we've covered this before. It's a theme in Matthew. Her faith is in the greatness of Christ. Faith is not visualizing something coming into existence. Faith is an understanding of how great Christ is. Why did the disciples have little faith when they were on the boat? Because they didn't think Jesus was bigger than the storm. That's why. Why did the disciples have little faith when there's not enough bread? Because they don't think Jesus is more powerful than a situation where people don't have food. They're still not getting it. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. She does. 
she gets that Jesus is so great that he can help from a distance. Daughter wasn't even there. His faith is so great that even though the Pharisees couldn't help, disciples couldn't help, her great faith is so great that in Christ that I know he can do it. And so she had this desperation and she's locked in to Jesus giving her the answer because only he can give the answer. Only he can do it. What is she going to do? Go home? Might as well persist here because only he has the power to do it. She believes that. She knows that. And so she's not buying the disciples. Forget those guys. They're not Jesus. She's not buying the argument, you know, well, you're not Israelite. Okay, but you're greater. You created the whole world. You're over all of that. And so her faith is great because it's in Christ Jesus. How awesome Jesus is. That is a theme throughout Matthew. But what's different here? There's something a little bit different here. And that's the fact that her faith is coupled with humility. Her faith is coupled with humility. In fact, humility is a sign of great faith. You want to know what to look for? You want to know how to get great faith? It's humility. How do I know that? Because she gets to the point where she's called a dog. And she's like, yep. Yeah, I'm a dog. But you can even help dogs. That's how awesome you are. That is great faith. That is what Jesus is looking for. You know, when we feel cut down, we're like, oh, Christianity is harsh. Oh. You know, when, 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 you feel, when you feel down and uh, raked over the coals over something you did or flaws in your character or your background, maybe it is demonic activity and whispering, you, you are not good enough. You are not good enough. Don't combat that with, yes, I am, yes, I am, and do that SNL skit where he looks in the mirror, I'm good enough, and I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, you know. <laughs> That's secularism. That's self-help. You can't help yourself. Yourself is the problem. And so she's like, dog, I, I'm not, she's not like, what? how am I a dog? That's offensive. She goes, Yeah. What, what grade of humility does it take to be called a dog? I was sitting in a pastor's office once, in a pastor's office, a friend of mine. And um, he's such a preacher that he can't shut it off. He's even preaching to me, right? And we're sitting there, and he's like, you know, because God, his grace is so great, and we're so undeserving. You know, we're a sinner. Lucas, do you know you're a sinner? You're a disgusting putrid. You're a sinner. You're you know, and I'm like, and there's a part of me where it's like, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm a good guy, right? It's just natural, but I already start, and then I start fighting those feelings like, he's right. He's not like dissing my character. He doesn't know me that well. He's not pulling up my, my Facebook profile and going back into the timeline to see, ah, oh, I see you, you know. He's just saying, theologically, categorically, I don't care where you're from. You're, you're rotten. And I still wrestle to agree with it. And my first few, like, yeah, well, you're right, you're right. And then I left that office and I was walking and I just thought, I need to, I need to agree with that a little bit m- more. And the point of it is not for me to walk around the rest of my life like, oh, I'm, I'm down, uh, I'm horrible. It's to magnify the greatness of Christ. You mean I'm that horrible and Christ still wants me? I'm that bad and Christ still died for me? That makes Christ greater. But Christ can't be greater if I'm great. I can't see Christ's greatness if my own greatness is in the way. 
I need to realize how lowly I am. And he still did that? It's like the, uh, I don't know if this is a true story, it's like the debate between uh, a secular scholar and a, and a little old church lady, you know, and he tries to prove to her that there was no way that the Red Sea was uh, at the point where the Israelites crossed and God supposedly split the Red Sea. Uh, that, you know, historically, if you do the math and blah, 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 and geographically where they were, it was no more than 10 inches of water. And her response was, Wow! That is amazing. He goes, what are you talking about? I just busted up your whole, your whole religion. It was only 10 inches of water. She goes, God drowned the entire Egyptian army in 10 inches of water? He is awesome. <laughs> That's the kind of faith this lady has, right? I was like, you're a dog. I know, but you're so awesome, you can feed a dog. And, and so uh, what, what, where we come into this picture is, my, my own faith in myself and my own goodness might be getting in the way of my true, the true picture of how great God is. Because the better I am, the less value the cross has. The cross's power is in its undeservingness. Well, Romans 5.28, God, God demonstrated his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say he demonstrated his love and that he died for us. Wow, that's great. While you didn't deserve him dying for you, he still did it. Magnifies his love. Magnifies his grace. And now you understand how great he is. Disciples don't get how great he is. And the Pharisees don't think anything of him at all. All they're doing is demanding proof. Prove it. Do a magic trick. Do something now. Do something now. Do something now. Do it. I mean, you're going to prove it. And Jesus didn't play that game. He's like, it doesn't matter what I do. You're not going to believe it. And the disciples are like, okay, okay, I'll follow you. I'll learn your teaching. But they don't get that he's great. They don't get that he's great. When they were kicking him in the boat, waking him up, you know, in my opinion, I think what they were asking him to do is grab an oar. They said, you're not doing anything and we're going to die. But when he hushed the storm, they were like, what? Surprised, right? Why were they surprised? They didn't think he was going to do that. So what were they telling him when they said, do something? Grab an oar, grab a bucket, grab the sail, control the mast. Do what a human can do. He's not human only. He's the God-man, and he can hush the storm. And that's why he said, your faith is little. You kind of believe what I am or who I am, but you, you don't really. And then at the end of this story, he turns to her and he says, oh, woman. And I think that's a little bit of an emphasis there where, especially in that society, women weren't the go-to for anything. They weren't the go-to for any. There were no women CEOs, women politicians, women race car drivers, women. No, there was none of that. And so she was Canaanite, and she was a woman. The least you would think that would get it. And the least that you think would be a rock star in the, the story of Jesus, written by an ancient Jew. And she gets it, and Jesus turns to her and says, Great is your faith. Your faith is awesome. Your faith is great. And what Jesus was identifying in her was her understanding of not only how great he was, but she was able to see how great he was because she understood how lowly she was. So great faith is demonstrated in great humility. Great faith begins with great humility. You can't have great faith in God if you still think you're great. can't because then you need him less. Then you match him a little bit more. The greater you think you are, the more you think you're like him. 
but we're not, right? But we're not. We're not like him. So what happens when the demon or the mother-in-law <laughs> or the uh, friend from your past or the spouse or the ex-wife okay, says something and brings up your dirt? Well, first, like her, you agree with it. I mean, unless it's completely false. I'm not saying let's all just throw out false accusations. And, no, but I mean, look, uh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a sinner. Oh, all I got is filthy rag. Yeah, remember that time you... I know, I know, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that I'm even breathing right now. What do you mean? I agree with you. I'm that bad. And God still says there is no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. That's how great Jesus Christ is. That's how you shut the demons up. It's not by pretending you're not what they're saying. It's by going, yeah, and then pointing back to Christ. That, that, that angers them more than anything because demons didn't get a second chance. Humans did. And humans were created lower than angels. It's kind of like a diss that we were created and then redeemed. And the angels didn't get that chance. The fallen angels didn't get that chance. Satan will never get that chance. And so he wants to bring you down and he wants to remind you of how bad you are and, and all that kind of thing. So Jesus kind of plays that role a little bit, not the devil's advocate. But he plays that antagonistic role. Like, I'm going to antagonize your faith for a moment. What if I told you you're, you're not an Israelite? It didn't, she didn't back down. What, what if I tell you you're just a dog? You don't deserve my grace. You don't deserve for me to do anything for you. And she gets it and agrees with it and passes the test. And so <laughs> she, she uses that dog analogy and tells them, you know, I agree with that. But let's roll with that picture a little bit, you know? Let's, let's unpack that picture a little bit. Dogs are dirty. Now, I know we have a lot of dog lovers in here, and I, you, you all know, most of you know, I, I love dogs. I got one. Sometimes I really want to kick him, but most of the time he's, he's great. He's a great dog, you know? That's why I buy ones that are beefy, and you can kick them, and it's okay. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding, okay? But, you know, they, they, you got to tell them what not to eat. Sometimes... They eat stuff, and I don't want to be too gross up here, but, you know, it's really nasty. A human, you, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't eat that. You wouldn't lick that. Sometimes I think about their physiology. I'm like, what kind of rock-hard stomach do dogs have? I mean, if I just am near what they <laughs> lick, I'm in the hospital for a week, and they're okay. All right? Dogs are dirty like that. And especially in this culture, dogs were very uh, unclean, uh, especially, you know, street dogs. They were matted fur and just went from scavenging around. And what she does with that image, and Jesus is saying dogs, the image that comes to the ancient reader's mind is these street dogs. They're dirty, they're matted fur and all that. And she goes, no, no, but even in our culture, in our society, some dogs are adopted and brought into the house. And they get scraps from the table. And if a human can show that kind of mercy to a dog, how much more can I get from a God-man? How much more can I get from our creator? See, her, her theology is, is amazing. She understands the nature of things. Yes, I'm a dog. Yes, I'm undeserving. But even humans 
can spoil a dirty dog. And her, her understanding of how great Jesus is, she just wants a splash effect. I don't want you to dump a bunch of blessing on me. Dump it on Israel. Dump the blessing, but can a drop hit me? Because just a drop will fix my daughter's situation. Just a word from you, and the demons have to run. Just a wave of your hand, and all of hell's attack on my daughter will stop in a moment. You don't have to make me an Israelite. You don't have to make us first in your kingdom. We can be dead last in your kingdom, and we'll be healed. Because you're that great. Her focus is on the greatness of Jesus Christ. And that's where real humility kicks in. And humility makes faith great. Because when you have a humble view of yourself, you have an exalted view of God. It's an inverse relationship. If you pump up your view of yourself and you exalt your view of yourself, then you deflate your view of God. But if you realize, and not crush yourself down, just realize what it is, what it actually is in front of a holy God, then you magnify the greatness of God and you go, wow, even though this, I still get that. That is amazing. God is mighty to save. Now he's able to save, right? He's mighty to save. It takes might to save someone like me and he's got it. And he's got that power. He's got the ability to save even the likes of me. So, when we think about our past, when we think about what we've done, realize that I don't need a high view of myself. We get enough of that. We get enough of that high view of yourself, Christianity. There's enough preachers out there that just tell you, you just need to believe in yourself more. Believe in yourself more, and then you'll pray more. No, the formula we see in this text is if I believe in Christ more and believe in myself less, that is the route to intense prayer because that's what she's demonstrating intensity in prayer just going at it showing up and being there and praying and saying god i'm and persisting in prayer this is exactly what played out with paul do you remember when paul has a thorn in his flesh we don't know what it is it was some kind of illness some kind of sickness something that was ravaging his body and in fact just to keep the theme tight paul says it's not a random sickness a messenger of satan some demon some spiritual evil force is doing this to me he knew that somehow And he pleaded with Jesus three times to remove it. And Jesus said no. Why? Because you have too much faith in yourself and not enough faith in me. Look it up. He says, I want you to believe that I'm sufficient. That my grace is sufficient for you to lean on. You don't need perfect health, Paul. You just need me. You don't need all the healing all the time. You don't need everything to go right all the time. You think too highly of yourself. Paul, you had all these revelations and I've revealed a lot to you. You write scripture. You're, you know, you're a little bit high on yourself. You need to lower that and be higher on me. And so therefore the answer is no so that I can teach you this. And so the relationship between humility and great faith is an inverse relationship. If, if you're great on yourself, you're not great on God. But if you're a realistic view of yourself, high view of God. And then intense prayer kicks in. Then you can pray a prayer of great faith and say, God, I want you to do this, but it's all on you. You're powerful enough to do it, and I'm not undeserving of it. You can do it. But it's not on, you know, when you go on Facebook, oh, my goodness. I'm going to write a book, Facebook Theology. 
I mean, it's so bad. Everybody just posts whatever, you know? And I really try to bite my tongue. And at the same time, I'm like, man, my flock is reading this, you know? My friends are reading this garbage. And so then sometimes I'll bomb a post. Like, nah, check the verse, buddy, you know? I mean, it's like you have to shoot the wolves sometimes, you know? And and so a lot of the popular theology is, you know, a a serene image of of a kitten walking on a beach. And just like, you know, God is, he, you're God's favorite. God wakes up in the morning and is like, ah, oh, John Lewis, you know, or whatever, you know, or Lucas O'Neill, or, you know, it's like, it's very like, you're awesome. And if you think about it, it's almost like God is down here and then we're the exalted ones. You know, if you, if you really think about the kind of the, the, the imagery, the language that's used, it's like, just realize how awesome you are. God created you and lifted you up and put you here. And he says, whatever you want, I'll do whatever. Just claim it. Just claim it and I'll do it. Like the word claim isn't even in the Bible, you know? Prayer is in the Bible, but prayer isn't do this for me, God. That, what is that? That's garbage. That is you first. That's high on myself. If I claim it, if I speak it into existence, God's going to do it because God's my genie in a bottle. I rub it, he comes out. I say go back in, he goes in there. Who's God in that scenario? You are. But he's God. And he's great. And he's all wise. And he's perfect. And you can take your junk and your garbage and say, God, I know I don't deserve this. I know I'm just a dog. But just the splash effect. Can you just bless someone else next to me? And I, can I just get a splash effect? Can you just dole out just a drop? Because just a drop will radically change my life. And folks, that is great faith. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. And as we close in the song, I, you know, I just really want us to, uh, my desire is that we have a changed prayer life. That our prayer life has changed because of this passage. If you really think Jesus is great, no matter where you've been or what you've done, He's great enough to still love on you, to still do for you what He wants to do for you, then you'll go to Him in prayer. And your great faith isn't, based on the objects that you want, the new car that you want? Of course not. Your great faith is in how great Jesus is, and I just want more of him. I just want to see how great he is, and I know that he has the power to do it. I know that he is able to do these things. And so rather than running to doctors first and friends first, and those things are great, let's run to him first, and let's have an intense life of prayer because we have great humility and great faith. Father, help us to worship now and Uh, Before we close, help us to really surrender this to you. And may you use this song to massage the truth of your word into our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.